New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Dr. Charles Tart. He's the author of many books, including The Secret Science of the Soul, How Evidence of the Paranormal is Bringing Science and Spirit Together. Charlie, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. It's always a pleasure to be here, Justine. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm wondering, is it reasonable to be both scientific and spiritual in our approach to life? Well, since I have a lot of investment in my thinking of myself as reasonable, I hope it's reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) I've certainly argued that it's reasonable. Particularly, it's reasonable because we have a background of scientism, the philosophy of materialism that denies any spirituality, of telling people they're dumb or crazy to have any interest in spiritual things. It's really important to counter that, not just by saying spiritual is good and feels nice, but because we have evidence that there's a reality to it. And of course, there are errors, mistakes, craziness involved in spirituality, like in any area of human life. But there's something real to it. And I say that as a research scientist, and I say it personally because the spiritual is an important part of my own personal life and of my professional life of trying to build bridges between the spiritual and the genuinely scientific. Well, that's very, very exciting. As you say, you're a well-known research scientist, and you're saying that there is a reality to spirituality, that it's not just a feel-good thing. Real isn't the right word. Help me out, Charlie. What is? Oh, I like the word real. It's a pretty good word. You see, you could take a conservative position and say, well, research shows that people who belong to churches live on the average, what is it, two to seven years longer than people who don't belong to churches. So because we've evolved to be social beings, it's good to be part of a small group. End of story. No spirituality involved in there. It's those church socials that do the trick. But what I'm saying is that that's true, but it's not enough. There is another level of reality that's not just you have nice ideas that make you feel good and make your body run better and give you better social connections. There's something real that you're connecting to. I can't prove that yet because we're just really beginning to open-mindedly research what's real in the spiritual, what's maybe real or maybe crazy and whatnot, but there's enough to know there's something happening there. What's difficult about it is that it's not like the hard sciences, Mm -hmm. but you have developed and others have developed some experiments that show that there is something there in this I'm going to call it invisible realm. Okay. And let me give you an example that will illustrate the problem. Near-death experiences. 
Back in the 70s, Raymond Moody published his book, Life After Life, when he had interviewed a bunch of people who'd had near-death experiences. They were almost unheard of at the time. The few people who had them didn't talk about them, so they worried that they were crazy because nobody talked about them. And now people know much more about them. What I found fascinating about near-death experiences was that they were so similar in spite of people's belief systems. You know, atheists, Lutherans, uh, Hindus, Baptists talked about very similar experiences. And the culture certainly hadn't prepared them for it, okay? I mean, if everybody reported pearly gates and or at least all the Christians did, you'd say, yeah, this is a suggestion. People have been talked into that. But people reported very similar things like meeting a being of light. Okay, I don't know at this point how we could get a better understanding of the being of light through scientific means. I wouldn't rule out that some increase in understanding. But on the other hand, a near-death experience is an experience. It's what happens inside that you remember. But sometimes it involves knowledge about the physical world that you can check on. As the near-death experiencer, for instance, who talked about floating in the air above the hospital and noticing some sneakers on a ledge up on the third story of the hospital building and somebody finding there were some sneakers there. That's not what you expect to find. So sometimes people having a classic sort of spiritual experience, it interacts with the real world, and it's verifiable. That, to me, says, I think there's a reality going along here. It's not just some isolated stuff all simulating your brain, right? We don't have a Star Trek holodeck in there. It's not the chemistry in the brain, yeah. Yeah, chemistry in the brain's important. You Mm -hmm. know, it's silly to deny that. And we do have something like the holodeck. My own understanding (laughs) of consciousness is that we create a model of the world in there, and we're constantly updating it with new information about the world. But what we believe is what we see. Yeah. But sometimes there's a reality to it in addition to that. So when a lot of people who did not expect anything like this, that it wasn't part of their upbringing, talk about a being of light or meeting deceased relatives or something like that, I begin to wonder, Mm -hmm. is there a reality? In, In my book, The Secret Science of the Soul, this is the kind of thing I put under the category of the many maybes. There's enough evidence for it that it really ought to be taken seriously and researched a lot more. I'm not quite ready to say, yeah, that really is how it is. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's more complicated than that. There's another experience that you talk about a little bit in the book. Many people have had this, and it's a spontaneous, mystical experience. When I first met Michael, I had one. I was in bed, I was reading, and Michael was sitting in a chair across from me. We were just newly together. And as I was reading, suddenly the room just dissolved into light. It just became luminescent, just an incredible light. And I felt just floating. And I looked up and I looked at him and I said, what's happening? And he said, I'm loving you. And it was like, whoa. So I would call that like a spontaneous mystical experience. So what would you say about those? Well, now, my considered scientific opinion on that is, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, these kinds of things happen. 
they happen to a lot of people. They're often not talked about, or if they're talked about, especially when they happen to kids, people get slapped down. You know, this is not supposed to happen. This is not in the Bible or something. So people don't talk about them, and they don't develop the insights that could come from these. One of my students did an interesting thesis on what he called the bright shadow. Carl Jung came up with this idea of we all have this shadow side, these characteristics we have that are kind of nasty and we don't want people to know that we have them. But turns out a lot of people, especially as kids, have brilliant mystical experiences like this. And when they talk to adults about it, they get slapped down mm. and denied and they repress that part of themselves. Well, that shouldn't happen. Okay, you might want to tell you if your kid has something like this. This is not an ordinary experience, and you need to be careful who you talk to because some people are bothered by it. But they certainly shouldn't repress a part of themselves. We need to learn how to teach people to have these and then how to interpret them sensibly. You know, you can induce what look like mystical experiences in people that are actually intended to push them in certain directions and make fanatics out of them. For example? I don't know if this is historically true, but for a long time it was theorized that the word assassin came from the use of hashish in Middle Eastern countries for people who didn't know about hashish, where they'd be picked up by some religious sect, doped up with a lot of hashish or something like that, when they regained consciousness, they were in a beautiful secret garden that nobody knew existed, surrounded by beautiful women and all that, telling them that this was a preview of what paradise would be like for them if they just did what the religious leaders told them to do and then given something to knock them back out again. Well, you know, that sounds perfectly technically feasible to me. Mm-hmm. And it's a real debased use of altered states of consciousness and drugs, but it could have happened that way. So we need to learn how to help people make healthy use of mystical experiences as well as have them. So you've done a lot of research in altered states. So you're saying altered state per se is neither good nor bad. It can be good or it can be... Well, I tried. When I did my book, Altered States of Consciousness, years ago, which really opened up this field, I said altered states is a scientific term that's value-free. Altered means it's significantly different. doesn't necessarily mean better and worse. You can make those judgments if you want to, but don't confuse them with a factual description that something is different. But people usually mean a higher state when they say altered state now. But, you know, I get off on trying to use language precisely, and I have almost no luck at all with it. (laughs) So are we making headway, Charlie, in being more accepting of science and spirit, that we can have our feet in both worlds and feel comfortable? Are we making any headway? I think we're making headway. More scientists are at least beginning to think about it. Some of us have founded a new organization recently, the Academy for the Advancement of Post-Materialist Science. Doesn't that sound respectable and Mm -hmm. fancy? Yes. I don't know yet how well it's going to work, but we want to encourage people to bring open-minded scientific method to look at spiritual experiences that go beyond just your chemical accident in a meaningless universe and then you die and it's over. There's more to it than that. Right. Don't know yet how lucky we'll be, but I'm rooting for it. 
So what's your best advice for right now of how we can conduct ourselves in being more robust in our spirituality? First off, be very discreet in who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are people who are upset by other people having spiritual experiences because of their own beliefs and will put you down and try to make you feel bad. You don't want to talk to those kind of people. That's pearls before swine in, yep. the, in the Bible oh, sense. That, you got it. <laughs> yeah. Perfect description. Then go out and educate yourself about these kind of things. And if you have a lot of them, take notes. See what you can learn from long-term patterns. And don't get carried away in that you think, ah, now I'm the only person advanced enough for God to talk to, so I've got to tell everybody else how they should do. But don't say, I'm not learning anything, and this has no value either. You know, this Buddhism idea of a middle way and experiences like that are learning experiences, but don't get overly attached or underly attached to any of them. That's the kind of advice I'd give people. Is meditation something that's useful? Meditation is a word that means so many different things. Yeah, the right kind of meditation with the right kind of person can be helpful, and it can be wrong for various kinds of So not to force yourself into a box if it's just not working for you. One of my books that I wrote years ago, Waking Up, I put an appendix in there on going off on a spiritual path, And the basic advice I gave was if you find some spiritual path that looks like they're going to train you in ways that you think mix with your values and open you up, that's good. Make a commitment to really go at it well for a couple of years, but also write a letter to your future self. This is who I am. These are my values. Here's where I hope to be. And a friend is going to give me this letter in two years or whatever the commitment is you made, and I'm going to judge, have I become a more spiritual person or have I become very important because of the secrets I know and how far above the common people I am? If you're going in that direction, I think you want to get out of there before it's too late. If you're really becoming more receptive, more compassionate, good. Keep going. That's really good advice. Charlie, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. I want to thank you for giving me a chance to share these kinds of things. You know, I turned 80 recently, and I keep thinking, I don't know how much longer I'll live, but gosh, there's so many observations and ideas I want to share with people. I hope I have time. Oh, goody. (laughs) We really want you to continue sharing them and, and continuing with your fearless research. But as long as people remember, they're my ideas that I share mainly to stimulate people. I may be wrong about some things, okay? <laughs> That's a real uh, value, a true value of yours, to be open-ended and not to nail it down and say, okay, this is the way, the truth, and the light, and I've arrived. I started a very basic spiritual growth group once years ago, and it reached a point where no matter what I told them, they started taking everything I said as words of wisdom. And that was scary. I dissolved the group. That's great, yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, I've been speaking with Dr. Charles Tart. He's the author of many books, including The Secret Science of the Soul, How Evidence of the Paranormal is Bringing Science and Spirit Together. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, paradigm-sys.com. That's paradigm-sys.com. Or just Google me. It'll or Google Charles Tart and you'll find him. Or go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org, and you'll get it there. So thank you so much. 
And I thank you all for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe and invite you to please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.